I realized that there was no way to preach John 7 without first teaching a Bible class. So I'm going to teach a Bible class, and then I'll preach. So the Bible class is 1 John 1, John 1, Revelation 1. So if you have a Bible, open all three of them at the same time, or if you have it on your Wayback Machine, open three windows, whatever you got to do, but you might want it in front of you. Here's the main reason that I wanted to teach a little bit on these passages before we actually get into anything about John 7, because some of you just read John 7 in your flock groups, or before you got here this morning, uh, maybe sometime over the last few days, you read John 7, and without these kind of introductory moments, John 7 actually has the potential to leave you quite frustrated whenever you read it, because Jesus says things that sound more like what's going on in the Gospel of Mark, where when people hear Jesus say something, they're left with, wait, what did he just say? And what am I supposed to do with this? And then the absolute worst verse in the entire Bible is in John 7. And so that's why we want to set this up with these three introductions. 1 John 1 comes first. That's why it's called 1 John. John 1 was then probably written after that. And then Revelation 1. But it all has to do with these beginnings. So, 1 John 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared and we have seen it and testify to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. This is the message we have heard from Him and declare to you God is light, in Him there is no darkness at all. Then probably later, when people read this beautiful message of 1 John, maybe they told John, yeah, but tell a story. We love the message, we love hearing about from the beginning and how Jesus is the beginning, but tell us a story, tell us a story about Jesus, and so John writes the Gospel of John, but he begins it almost the same way he begins 1 John. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him, all things were made. Without Him, nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of everyone. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. So, John writes the message. John writes the story of Jesus and all these miracles, the death and resurrection. I don't know, maybe John thought at one point that he was finished. Nothing left to write. I have told the message and I've told the story of Jesus. It's all done. 
You ever feel that way? You've been to church so many times, you kind of already know all the stories. There's nothing left to tell. I have to go to church this Sunday. I've heard it all before. Well, one day, John, the person who followed Jesus and was with Jesus, the one who wrote 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, and who wrote the Gospel of John, was sitting on an island in the middle of nowhere, minding his own business, uh, and Jesus showed up. Imagine that. And Jesus says, uh, the story's not over. There's more to tell. And so now, instead of people telling John, tell me a story, what if John now is talking back and forth with Jesus, however the world that happens. And John says, well, then you tell me a story. And Jesus starts telling him a story. And so John goes back and starts writing letters, again, just like 1 John, only this time it's from a completely different perspective. And he tells a beginning story, but it's not just a beginning story, it's also an ending. So it's a beginning and an ending that's beginning this new creation. And it starts in John 1, 4. John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from him who is, who was, and who is to come and from the seven spirits before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood, and has made us to be a kingdom, and priests to serve his God and Father, to him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Look. He is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the peoples in the earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is, who was, and who is to come, the Almighty. Can you see it? That which was from the beginning. Then, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. But now, firstborn, beginning, but from the dead. New creation. And then Jesus himself says, not in the beginning was the Word, but I am the Alpha. Not even just the first word, but I'm the first letter. And the Omega. So if there is a first word and a last word and the last letter of the last word, that's Jesus. Beginning and the end. The Alpha and the Omega who is, right now, 
was, always has been from the beginning and is to come. We have more to tell. The story's not over. That's the beauty of these three opening stories is that they don't only tell us about in the beginning. They keep telling us what is to come. And that helps with John 7. So, Cynthia, for my birthday, got me a book of prayers because I guess that's what ministers get other ministers for our birthdays. Here's a book of prayers. And I can't stop reading it. Because they're prayers that aren't like prayers I've read. Many of them are Eastern tradition Christian prayers. And this one is a Coptic prayer. And I wanted to read it in this context. Mainly because it sounds an awful lot like something John would have written. Because John, and this is not going to come as any big surprise if you know John's writings. John is loved by the Eastern Church. But it's because he sounds really Eastern. You know, he, he writes things that like don't make sense to us sometimes. And so this is a, a prayer from a group of people that because we are in Christ this morning, we are united with in Jesus. Worthy and just. Now, we are standing together with the heavenly choirs. We praise our Lord with the seven choirs of the angels and with the two choirs of the cherubim and seraphim. We become as the tenth choir of the heavenly creatures. You who have given to those on earth the hymn of the seraphim, count us with the heavenly hosts. As we are counted with the heavenly hosts, we ought to stand with them looking to the east, to the throne of the Son of the Righteousness, worthy and right. Worthy and right, truly indeed, you are worthy and right, you who are Master, Lord, God of truth, being before the ages and reigning forever. You who dwell in the highest and look upon the lowly. You who have created the heaven the earth, the sea, all that is therein. The Father of our Lord, God and Savior, Jesus Christ, by whom you have created all things seen and unseen, who sits upon the throne. You who are seated, stand. Before you stand the angels, the archangels, the principalities, the authorities, the thrones, the dominions, and the powers. Look towards the east. You are he around whom stand the cherubim full of eyes and the seraphim with six wings praising continuously without ceasing saying, Holy, 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 Lord of hosts, heaven and earth are full of your holy glory. Glory be to you who is worshipped by all the holy powers. That 
is the God around whom we must all unite. Amen. So now for the sermon. <laughs> Lutherans, Methodists, Church of Christ, Bible Church, and that's just on this street. The Pharisees, the Essenes, the Sadducees, the Zealots, different groups during Jesus' own time who read the Bible differently and spent all their time debating one another. The teachers of the law, the scribes, the Samaritans, the Gentiles. Is he from Nazareth? Jerusalem? Galilee? All these labels. Labels that mark who's cool and who's not. Jesus lived in a world of division, in a house divided. Sound familiar? Maybe what Jesus is trying to tell us about the new creation in John 7 is not that everything is going to look the same, but that the people of God have a key role in being united in the midst of a world divided. But boy, we as the people of Jesus these days have a lot of work on our hands if we are going to present a unified body of Christ to the world. Can you imagine how much work this is going to take? But here's the good news. I think that we have a core here at Barrington that is capable of such a mission into the future. And I believe that God is calling us to do something dramatic. One time I was sitting on a hill in Jerusalem with a Palestinian Christian. Sounds like a very biblical thing to say, doesn't it? <laughs> One time I was sitting on a hill in Jerusalem with a Palestinian. Anyway, he asked me what kind of Christian I was. And I told him, I don't even remember what I said. I said something like, you know, the one kind that follows Jesus. You know, I, I really, I wish I could remember what I said. I don't remember what I told him. And, but then he pushed back and he goes, yes, but what kind? And I told him. And then he asked me, what makes your kind so special? Oh, and that question has haunted me for like 13, 14 years since he asked me that. Jesus said in John 7, Right, I mean, just right to the people who were following him. Jesus said, the world cannot hate you. Did you see that when you read John 7? Jesus tells the people who are following him, the world cannot hate you. Well, they sure seem to try. 
The world cannot hate you. I wish. So we have work to do. What is God calling us to be? We have to be the people of the new creation. So in the story, Jesus arrives at the feast. And John, in John 7, he gives us this bird's eye view of the story in verse 12. And one of the things that he says is, among the crowds, there was widespread whispering about him. Widespread whispering. Have you ever walked into a room where people were whispering and they stopped suddenly? <laughs> Awkward. And then I just love that Jesus blurts out the truth. Just like Jesus is known to do, why are y'all trying to kill me? And then they go straight up passive-aggressive, toxic relationship on him. You're demon-possessed. Nobody's trying to kill you. That's quite a thing to call a person, right? They say something to the person in the wrong, and then the person responds. Kind of like a child in a playground argument. Oh, yeah, well, you're just demon-possessed. But Jesus just keeps on Christing because that's what Christ will do as Christ overcomes division. And you know how Jesus responds, and you know what Jesus says, and you know what makes John 7 so special? And, and I know, trust me, I, I know. John 7, if you just lay it all out, especially if you don't read John 1 through 6 and John 8 through 11, and then really all of John 1 through 21, the whole shooting match, if you don't read everything and you just read John 7, man, it's like, what are we supposed to do with this? Well, the good news in the midst of all of this stuff that's going on in John 7, I mean, the least John could have done was throw in another miracle to make this a little bit more palatable. But he doesn't. And so what are we supposed to do with this? Well, we take what Jesus does from beginning to end in John 7, and then we start putting it into practice. And it makes John 7 a little bit easier to take. And what we do is we do what Jesus does in John 7. Because for everything going on in this chapter, the one thing that Jesus keeps doing and keeps coming back to is he keeps speaking of the one who sent me. He keeps saying this is from God not from me. The other Messiah types, a couple of hundred years before Jesus, and even up to like 135, all that time you had all these kind of Messiah figures, and you know what they were doing? You know what they all have in common that makes Jesus different from all the rest of them? Number one, they stood something to gain, and they kept saying, look at me. Come look at me. Come follow me. Well, what for? Well, because you're supposed to follow me. I'm the Messiah. Jesus doesn't do this. And this is what makes Jesus different from all the ones who came before him and all the ones who come after, is that he keeps saying, this is from God. 
This is not from me. What's the mission of the church worldwide and at Bering? Same thing. This is from God. This is not from us. We can say that too. But be careful with it because this is from God, not from me, can be weaponized. You've seen that, right? Where people weaponize, oh, this is from God. This is not from me. And when it's weaponized, people say that in order to gain something from it. Well, this is from God, this is not from me. Sometimes that's said in order to say, not this is from God, it's not from me. It's in order to say, I'm right and you're wrong. So you quit being wrong, which is another way of saying, be more like me. Yeah, that's not what Jesus is saying either. This is from God. This is not from me. What? What's from God? Well, John's already told us. Jesus is at a party. Right after in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Okay, John, that's really pretty flowery language, but how are we supposed to take you seriously that this is really God? Well, Come with us to the party. And the first thing I'm going to show you is something that's going to get your attention. And so Jesus meets the people where they are at a party. And they run out of wine. And everybody starts to panic. Because apparently this was not a church potluck that Jesus was at. This was like hardcore like party party. And Jesus changes the water into wine. The good stuff. Like really choice stuff. And then people start talking. Well, this isn't like the last guy that we followed around who said I'm the Messiah. This one's different. And John says, just wait. Because I'm going to show you another set of miracles. And you're not even going to call them miracles. And I'm not going to call them miracles. But Nicodemus, who is kind of a reject according to the Gospel of John because he's with people who are persecuting Jesus, a Samaritan woman, and then a lame guy by the pool, and then these 5,000 hungry people sitting out on the lawn, waiting to be fed. All these things start unfolding. And Jesus just keeps saying, this is from God. This is not from me. What's from God? It's good stuff. Really, really good stuff. Living bread, living water. This is really, really good stuff been a part, and, and hopefully it's been years ago, you ever been a part of a group of, of people who claim to be followers of Jesus and it just sucks the life out of you? It's because they're not saying, this is from God, this is not from us. What's from God? The good stuff. The really, really good stuff. The stuff that's meant to build you up. 
stuff that's meant to draw you closer to God. I'm going to make an outlandish statement because in many ways Jesus makes outlandish statements, John 7, and really all of the Gospel of John for that matter. So here's the outlandish statement for today. All Christian division must come to an end today. Just stop it. Stop it. No more. It's over. Every sign in front of a church, every marquee, everything says the same thing. Come up with a new name. Everybody. Call it something like Church One. Church One. One church, one Jesus, one body, one baptism, one faith. I don't care. I do care. Church One. Something along the lines. Everything comes to an end today. All, all Christian division. So what if God is calling us, this one outpost of the new creation, this one place right here, this group of people right here, to just launch it, to just say, nope, this, it's all going to begin today. You notice how Jesus did not begin this mission with thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people? Twelve. Misfits, people who could not get along if they tried, but somehow, because of Jesus, they all walked together for a time from God, not from us. And so, and I'm glad, I'm so relieved that it's coming to an end today. That we all get to be the eyes and ears to the end of all Christian division. That today is the day it's going to stop. That we're all united in Christ. What a great day. Jesus is taking us back over and over to the one who sent him, to the Lord God, Jesus is telling us, I think, that, look, you're not going to be uniform in thought, but rather unity in the one who sends us on this mission. But, y'all knew it wasn't going to end like that, right? Because mixed into all this hope is the most terrible verse in all of the Bible. Right there in John 7, what we've read today John 7 43 thus the people were divided because of Jesus sound familiar I hate this so much this Christian cocoon we live in filled with people who judge one another in the name of Jesus who exclude in the name of Jesus who automatically write someone off just because he's from Galilee Jesus is the beginning and the end. Jesus is the beginning of the mission of creating us in God's image. And Jesus is the end of all statements like John 7, 43. Thus the people were divided because of Jesus. Imagine a world where we all get to sit around a campfire together and reminisce about those not-so-good old days when people were divided in the name of Jesus. We get to reminisce about that. Y'all remember that? You remember back in the day when we were all divided but now we're all united in Jesus. Why would we ever want to go back to that? And somebody stands up around the campfire. We'll never go back to that. And we all start cheering. Back during the feast, Jesus says something that we can still hear today. This feast that's going on in John 7. 
verse 37, on the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. can get behind that. Streams of living water will flow from us in this place. And those streams, and think about it, streams always move forward. And those streams are streams that fill people with the Jesus who sent them. I wish that we could all together go sit on a hill in Jerusalem again with my Palestinian Christian single-serving friend, and have another conversation. And I think we would answer him differently today. Much because of you. Because of us. Because of this church that we have together. I'm going to tell him when he asks all of us. I don't know, maybe we can practice or something where... When he asks us, we can all say the same thing at the same time. You know, just this is one voice. He's going to look at all of us and he's going to say, what makes your church so special? And then we can all tell him, we are all united in the Lord who sends us in the mission of offering everyone a path to streams of living water. you imagine a world where all people who call Jesus Lord are all united in the same God, in the same mission of pointing back to the one true and living God, the beginning and the end, the Alpha and the Omega, the living Jesus who today is inviting everyone on God's green earth to the banquet, to the feast decorated with people clothed in garments of peace, a feast where the tables are just running over with fresh warm bread that never runs out, and the pitchers of living water never run dry of true and eternal peace. Celebration of this new creation, one world without end.